Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. Africa, to the country of Zambia. Lida went to the eastern side, and she had the what we call life uh, conferences for lay leaders, and particularly for well, all leaders in the congregations. And we're finding that more and more of the pastors come there too, and their cry is the same as what we sang this morning. Mike, thank you. Fill me up. I'm empty. I feel a dryness. And they come and they say, we are hungry. We want to hear the word of God. Fill us up so that we may go out and be the representatives that God has called us to be. I'm going to, I want to thank you as a congregation for sending us. You were part and parcel of us going there. Not only that, you were part and parcel of the many, many Bibles that we could give out to leaders who did not have a Bible. And I hope that the story that I will tell uh, when I show a couple of slides, that it will allow you and to enjoy and be enthused by what God is doing on the other side of the world where people are turning to Christ in mass, masses of them, coming to the Lord saying, I did not know. Our goal to go over there is to fill up, to fill the gaps that they have. And Lida has been going there, I can't remember, it's been many years now that she's been going on a regular basis. And the blessing that we have, we want to share with you, since you are our family. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the way in which we would always greet the church over there. It's just the way they expect us to greet them as well. I stand before you as a witness to do things that God keeps his promises always, and that he hears the prayers of his people. <clears throat> uh, when I was diagnosed with cancer last year, God spoke to my spirit that the cancer is like stones in the clay that the potter is trying to use, and that makes the clay unfit for use. And he's promised me that he will remove the clay Oh, sorry, remove the stones, and that I will be able to go back to Africa to teach. My testimony is that the cancer is nearly gone. Praise God. And I returned about two weeks ago from our first trip to Africa since COVID has beat us. 
When I go to Africa with a teaching partner, we teach, we train the lay leaders in the churches, the elders, the deacons, the women leaders, the youth, and often the pastors as well. Johan goes with a pastor, and they focus on the pastors. When I started this work about 12 years ago, we focused mainly on women, but we very soon realized that the need is much wider than just women. So these are people that are mostly in a practical training to make disciples through the Hope Builders Ministries program. And they do that in their communities where they live. In most places when they come, in most cases when they come to the conferences, they prepare to walk miles and miles. They carry all their necessary belongings on their heads and often even a baby on the back. When they come to the conference, they prepare to sleep in the church on the floor. And then they sit on hard, wobbly, homemade wooden benches for hours on end, never complaining, never giving up. And even on the floor, if it's necessary. They take notes. I sometimes feel they take notes when we breathe. They just write everything down. They are so hungry for God's word. The main theme of this year's teaching was from my personal calling from Titus 1 verse 1. I'm going to read that out of the New Living Translation. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. So three, three aspects. They have been chosen by God, and therefore they are special in his eyes. And they are ordained as priests in his kingdom. And with all responsibilities that comes with that. To help them to know the real truth as revealed in God's word. And to deepen their personal relationships with God. And to this fact, they so often testify at the end of a conference. And the third point is to show them how to live godly lives in the midst of a very ungodly world and with all the temptations and challenges that are around them. My teaching partner and I have a very special relationship as we have been pouring out into the lives of others, we are being filled up with the Holy Spirit daily in our own devotionals. And each teaching is a little bit different as the Lord leads us. We complement one another in our teachings. Even though we don't really talk about it beforehand, we each just sit at God's presence and ask him what it is that he wants the people to know. We often hear the people say the teachings are simple and easy. Easy for them to understand, but also easy for them to take back home and teach to their disciples. And yet we see the lives change before our eyes. We experience many, many prayers this time. And there's always some form of a crisis. <laughs> like when we missed our connection flight in Johannesburg, but that's a whole story. 
The roads we travel on are more holes than tarmac. To the one village that was 10 miles away, it took us 75 minutes to get there, wobbling back and forth in a car, and you just get there so tired. This particular village was established in the 1950s by a missionary couple who came there from Malawi. And we actually met the daughter of the couple who were translators for them. She still lives in the village, an old, old lady by today. We were able to hand out 240 Bibles, some in English and some in their local language. They're, in this area, their language is Chewa. There were no Chewa Bibles available in Zambia, so we had to have them bought and transported from the neighboring country, Malawi. Um, for many people, that was their first Bible that they've ever received. And to see that joy is amazing. In some cases, we could even, even exchange a very torn-up Bible for a new one. A Bible costs about a month's salary, uh, which is very often for them not possible to, to buy a Bible. We also gave out five very strong bicycles. A bicycle like that is unaffordable for the common, the ordinary person. About, uh, about 350 people in total attended the conferences. In the first conference, we had 125 people packed into a classroom. They, it was just a, a sea of faces in front of us. We have a Zambian couple who are our representatives and who are ahead of the, the disciple-making movement in Zambia. They travel with us, and they often translate for us as well into the local language. They often and they help us not to make cultural mistakes against the people there. The husband speaks about seven local languages. Without your prayers and your support, this was not possible. But we give God the glory. Thank you. Because I'm an old-timer and I battle with these types of things, and I could not get the song transferred onto the disc so that Luke could play it, I was sitting over there and I was going, eh, you have it with you. You have a microphone. Why not just play it? Here are 11 men who are strangers to one another. They come from different areas. But the moment we started working, they stepped up and they said, no, no, we first have to give glory to God in song. I want to play it for you. Yeah. Dolores. <laughs> 
These are the simple people, the village people, the rural people, the unlearned people, the poor people, but the hungry for the word of God people that he has sent us to. These are the people that it has been our privilege to serve for over 40 years. We are seeing second and third and generations of them coming through to be trained. This year, we went into the one area, and I want Luke to put up the, the little grass church that they built to receive us. It is a bamboo structure with grass on it. In a place that has so much dust, if you start dancing like Sister Dolores, man, this place will be filled. You know what they did? They went out and they found fertilizer bags from some of the farmers. It's a, it's a plastic type of bag. And they lined the entire floor for us. They served us the best they had. And many of them would go for a month without food because they had given it all to us. These are the people that I represent to you today. These are the people that God has allowed us to walk with for over 40 years. You want to see some of them? The attention that they give. Thanks, Luke. Unwavering. They sit on a bench without a back. They sit on those slats for hours. Our, our seminars that we had ran for two days. And for two days they sat and took notes. For two days they came and were in a position of sitting down and not moving. They do not want to miss one word. Thanks, Luke. This is the group in that little grass church. They came from different areas. They are dedicated. Some of them have walked 20 miles, 30 miles to get there, to share with us because the, the, there is no uh, public transport. These men and women, the ones that come to LIDA and these that come to us, uh, they are lovely people. We have the privilege of standing between them. And you see me there in, in the photograph. And strange thing is, I am known as Papa. The authority of a gray head and a gray beard allows me to speak into their lives. An incredible, incredible privilege and yet an incredible responsibility. If I make a mistake, it will be multiplied in this trip 167 times. 167 pastors came to these five conferences that we spoke at. Then I want to tell you about two exceptional situations right in this little grass, grass church. One was a young boy that came, thanks Luke, 
I stand there with the young man. This young man came up and in a question time asked whether he could say something. I said, yes. And he asked and he said, I am the only one in my family who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior. Can you tell me, can you help me? How do I bring the gospel to my parents so that they will serve God also? We were able to stand around him. We were able to pray with him. We were able to show him to one of the pastors who lived fairly close to where he was and that he would go and find somebody else that would pray with him and that two by two they would go out. But the one that shook me was this next one. This young lady, young girl, she's no more than 10, 11 years old, came to me and said, Sir, I can read. Can I please have a Bible? My grandparents cannot read. My father and mother do not read well. And I believe that God has allowed me to be near you to get a Bible that I could read to my family and to my friends. She got it. Then on the other side, God is doing some pretty amazing things out there in our ministry. In this sense, the western side, the more desert side, semi-desert side of Zambia, where the population is not as uh, dense as it is in other parts, uh, we need to bring these pastors in. We've got about 100 pastors in that area that are in training right now, and we don't have a place for them, and the villages are so small, and there's nowhere for them to sleep over basically. And uh, I spoke to our representative in Zambia and said, man, we've got to find some place that we can, uh, can bring them to so that these conferences can be held there, that we can bring them in line with our calling from the third epistle of John in a way worthy of God. The next thing he gave me a call and he said, there is a ministry there that set up a whole building, but their ministry did not develop in Mongu. That's the town. It developed way north, uh, about a four or five hundred miles away. And they're trying to get rid of this building. And so I said to him, brother, ask them what they want for it. And he came back and said, um, you make an offer. Nope. You tell me what, it's your building, because if I offer you $100,000 for it, I'd be paying too much. And if I offered you $1,000 for it, you'd think I'm a cheapskate. So you tell me how much you want for it. And they came back and they said, thank you. If you give us a donation of $10,000, you can have it. 
I did not have the $10,000 at that moment to spend on a capital project. So I called to my colleague in, in Texas, and we went out and we phoned, started phoning a couple of people, and it was about a half an hour. And he called me back. And he said, you're not going to believe this. He said, I was getting ready to call somebody, but somebody else called into me and said, do you have a need? Do you have a special need? I have just, in, I have just inherited from my father after his passing and his estate has been wound up. I have $12,000 for you. <laughs> that, that is the testimony of a ministry that is working into one of the most needy areas in Africa. This year, our message to them was something different than normal. We started out by deciding, actually my colleague decided that he really felt that we needed to speak about the seven churches of Revelation. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, I'm just going to run over it, because as I said, these seminars run for two full days. There's ten different sessions in here, and I have a couple of minutes with you. But I want you to hear what it is that these people drink in. That they call and say, please, Lord, fill us up so that we have something to give out when we speak to our congregations, to our churches. Our purpose was to show the biblical picture of the church under the Roman rule and where the conditions were difficult and Christians had three different problems in that time under Roman rule. Number one, they had to compromise. They were called on to compromise. They had to pray to the emperor. The emperor Domitian at that point came and declared himself a deity and had a law put out that, that he would be needed to be prayed to. That meant in the city of Ephesus, at the Agora, the market, it would mean that you went and as you entered the market, you would have to go and grab some incense and throw it into a, a burner that was there to show that you participated. So for a Christian to walk in there and not do that would be a sign, a clear sign to everybody that he did not bow to the deity, the emperor. And that was a problem because the Roman world around them controlled everything. The second problem that they had is that they had broken with the Jews because they were not keeping all the Jewish ceremonial laws. And so you had the Jewish cultural situation uh, stand, uh, witnessing against them, actually ratting them out to the Romans. And the third was they were declared a sect. And therefore, they were again ratted out. And so the Christians in 
Revelation 2 verses 1 through 7, the church in Ephesus had a rough time. But so did all the other seven churches. Now the question is, why does the letter go out to seven churches? What is the significance of the number seven? There were many more churches that the letters could go to, but it was sent out to seven. Seven in the Bible is very often the complete number. And therefore, I want to hold it up before you that the seven churches represented all the churches everywhere of all time. And that the prescriptions that the Lord Jesus gave to the angel to carry to John to write these seven letters are written for us. They were not just for that time. They were given so that we could look into the mirror of Scripture and see ourselves. Are we? Are we like the church in Ephesus? In each one of these seven letters, the Lord comes and he firstly says to them, I know. I know your works. To Ephesus, he says, I know your deeds. You are hardworking and you have a big endurance. To Smyrna, he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. To Pergamum, he says, I know where you live, where the throne of Satan is. To Thyatira, he writes, I know your works, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and you're doing even more than before. Sardis, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And to him, he goes further and says, wake up. And in parentheses here, I want to say, church in America, it's time for us to wake up. If I look around, I've come through three revolutions in my lifetime in Africa, and we are standing at the edge of one right now, right here in this country. If you do not believe that, wake up. Wake up. I'll do, I'll do to you what I did to the Africans. Wake up! That's the call that we're going to have. We are going to have to step up. There is no more time for us to relax. To Philadelphia, he says, I have set before you an open door. You are small, little. You have little strength. This was a tiny little church. And yet he gives them the admonition. Of the calling that he has given to them. To Laodicea. He says. You are neither hot. Nor cold. You are lukewarm. And for that reason I will. He uses a very strong word. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Then he goes on and he says. To each one of these seven churches. Excepting one. I have this against you. To the Ephesians, he says, you have lost your first love. You are going through the motions. You are very busy. 
you are a church that likes to make people feel good. But he gives them the solution as well. Return to me. Not only does he pinpoint the problem, he gives them the solution. Return to me. And then in each one of these seven cases, he goes along and he gives a promise. The overcomer's promise. In the first case, it would be to the Ephesian church, eat of the tree of life. If you overcome, if you do what I have told you to do, and you return to me, you will eat of the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. Or to one of the others, he says, uh, when he says, I have this against you, you tolerate the Nicolotians or Jezebel. You know, Ahab was one of the worst kings the Israelites ever had. He was only surpassed by one person in being evil. It was Jezebel. Here, God says, Jesus says to the church, you tolerate Jezebel. Remember what Jezebel did. She had these Baal priests. There were in these uh, temples of Baal, there was temple prostitution. All of this stuff was brought in and people were subjected to this. You are, I have this against you that you have false doctrine or you are, have a prideful hope in yourself, in your own abilities. You are deceitful. You have idols. The solution, come to me. Be, be obedient. Rededicate your lives to me in devotion so that you will become overcomers, victorious. The promise that he gives to these in the churches, the seven churches is, I will give you the crown of life. You will drink from the river of life. A white stone and a new name will be given to you. You know what the white stone was for? There was a name written on it too. There was a very special reason why a white stone was given. There's speculation in some cases, but the one that I like to go for is that in the Roman games, the uh, ones that overcame, the winners, received a white stone that was then, later they could, that would give them entrance into some of the festivals of the Roman games. I will give you the morning star. I will give you everything that you need. And to Laodicea, he actually goes and says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. To him who overcomes, I will give to sit on my throne. Our, our Christ, our Lord and Savior, our God is an awesome God. In this sense, that not only does he show us what's wrong, 
He tells us how to fix it. And then he gives us a promise. And he, he tells us to everyone who has an ear to hear, let him hear and let him step up. In these two-day seminars in five different regions, we had the opportunity of bringing this basic message. And it, if you go into depth of two days here in each one of these, you can lay out quite a bit. But in five regions this year, we were able to go in, to go and speak to 167 leaders and to hold up the mirror so that the church, these pastors, could look into the mirror and see what their church looked like. It may not be just one of these churches. It may be a combination because in some of these churches, the, uh, the Lord Jesus dictates in his letter that there are some in this church who have not bowed their, their knee before Baal, who have not participated in any of these idol worship situations. So there may be a combination of these, but the mirror of these seven churches is held up in front of them so that they can see. And the result was that there was a great amount of crying before the Lord. Crying out to God for mercy, for wisdom, as they repented and confirmed that the word of God was to be their guiding light. Problem here is this. These letters are written to churches. But the problem is <laughs> that church is made up of people. And the characteristics of these churches are, come from the people that are there. It is a corporate, it's a letter that's written to the corporate body, but it also is to the individual person. So when we look at these into this mirror, we had better see ourselves. When we had communion last Sunday, that mirror was held up before us that we may inspect ourselves, that we may go before we take the elements, that we may come to a realization that we have a responsibility to inspect ourselves and to humble ourselves before God before taking it. Same thing here. This mirror that is held up is, is for each one of us. Just like it is for those people in the bush. And I trust that the Spirit of God would lead us. Would bring us to the point where we would come to the same conclusion that they came to. Lord, we need your mercy. Lord, we bow our knee before you and thank you that we have learned more. Fill me up, Lord, that I may be your witness. For you know, the interesting thing is, so often those pastors out there, they are like this bottle. You bump them and something comes out. Whatever they are full of, is what comes out. What are you full of? What happens when you get bumped? I don't want to mess Pastor Robert's floor up, so I won't throw any water on it. 
What is it that comes out when you and I get knocked? When we get squeezed? When things become difficult for us? If we bring, if we bring this message to the church in Ephesus a little bit closer to home, have you lost your first love? Are we so busy that we don't have time for the Lord Jesus himself? Because that's who we're talking to. And that's who we're talking about. Have we lost our first love? Let's take a little test. I submit to you that if we wake up on a Sunday morning and we have to decide whether we're going to sleep in or go to where the word of God is being preached, you are in danger of losing your first love. Whether the decision comes, whether I should go to a football game or come to the body corporate where it meets to hear the word of God, you are in danger of losing your first love. We have idols in our midst. Possessions so easily lead us away from God. Money can become a God very easily. A car, something that that I remember from a young man, I, I love to look at very nice cars. I knew I could never buy them, but I love to look at them. And uh, a guy who was a, bro uh, a friend to my brother bought himself, in those days, the MGBGT was an incredible British car. I don't know how many of you, the MGBs, do you? You know, some of those. It was a small sports car, but this guy was so focused on his car that he didn't sleep in the house in his bed any longer. He slept next to his, not in the car, next to the car. I have an idea that that has become his God. How are we? How are we off for compromise? When we fill in our tax return, how truthful are we? These are all things that compromise our witness. This calls for personal accountability. You and I have to look into this mirror. We have to recognize who we are. We have to recognize the station in life that we are at. And we have to acknowledge that we have to make adjustments. Perhaps we are doing exactly like the church in Smyrna was doing. Doing the right thing, but he calls on it to do it more. Make the adjustment, the intensity adjustment. Sometimes we have to make a course correction. Sometimes it is just a new devotion. Sometimes it is just being obedient hearing God's voice a little more, understanding it. I want to submit to you that we are except, exceptionally lucky in this body that we're in. We hear our pastor bring the word of God clearly. 
We br he brings it with his entire heart and he lays his entire heart out before us Sunday by Sunday. We hear the word of God. We are being taught. We are being filled up. We are coming to this gas station so that we can be filled up. The only question that we have to answer is, are we giving out enough so that we can be filled up next Sunday? That's the only question that we have to answer. Or do we come here so full that, that there's no space for any more? In that case, we'll grow very fat. Excuse me. The word of God is preached. I want to ask a question. I know what the answer is, so it's a rhetorical question. Why, why are there so few people in the Disciple Institute on the second Sunday of the month, uh, Saturday of the month for two hours? I submit to you that I sit in there time after time drinking from a fire hydrant. I said to Brother Jay a while ago and to a friend of mine who came for the first time yesterday, I'm drenched. I've been drinking from a fire hydrant again. Make the time to be discipled, to be in a position to know what it is to share the word of God when you are bumped or when God gives you an opportunity and sets an open door before you. I submit to you, and I wish he didn't hear me now, that there are few people ever that I have listened to that are better prepared than Brother Jay. I have learned so much that I admonish you, please make an effort on the second Saturday of the month to come between 9 and 11 and to see discipleship practiced. I think of the worship team. I don't quite dance as well as Dolores does. For sure I don't because I'm, I come from a background of the chosen frozen, I think they called. Um, or frozen chosen. Which way around is it, Jay? Which... It, <laughs> they both work. So, uh, but I'm learning. And I see, I see the joy in my sister's life and I go, man, I wish I had that. I'm joining you, Dolores. I'm on my way. In this congregation, we see compassion. We see compassion for a situation when there is a flood in Kentucky. We see a situation here where on Monday nights you have celebrate recovery. We see these things. They are here for your and my participation. It is the way in which we can serve God in this community in such a way that the testimony of what's happening here will reach the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's why in this congregation we also see the missions situation being spoken of, being handled. I listen to, to the missions side of things and when Sister Autumn talks about the women and the things that are happening 
around the globe. And I think of what God's doing in Africa. And I think of what is happening in India right now with the immense persecution that's breaking loose there, where the country is being turned into a Hindu state that is very intolerant of Christians. And Christians there have to make a choice whether they are going to compromise or not. Personal accountability for us to be filled up lies with each one of us. We cannot get away from it. And the solution? The solution is in John 7.38. John 7.38 just simply, simply says this, and you can take this, you can put it in the bank, or you can work on it and allow it to change your life. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from his innermost being. He was referring to the Holy Spirit that would work in and through each one of us. And now, to him, our Lord, who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. For you have been saved for a purpose. You are here on earth for a purpose. And allow God to speak into your life in such a manner that he will fill you up to the point where you will give out to his glory, to his honor, and to the furtherance of his kingdom. Let us pray. Father, as we come to you, it's indeed a privilege to be your children. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you that you are sovereign and that you have given us the promise that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through you. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the sacrifice, leaving the grace of heaven to come to this fallen earth so that we may be in a position to receive from you the victory that you won on Calvary. We ask, Lord, that you would be glorified, that your name would be, would be expressed and your kingdom may be grown all over the world and allow us, Lord, to be those vessels through whom you work. And we do so in the name of Christ Jesus.